0: Hi and thanks for downloading this episode of Queer I Am the podcast. I really hope you enjoy it. This podcast started as a small idea and has turned into a real passion project for me and is something that I wish to continue to make way into the future but I need your help in doing so. So there is a cost in making Queer I Am the podcast and it's something that I funded and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. But if you'd like to get involved and support the podcast by subscribing to Acas Plus, that would be incredible. And if this is something you can't do, no worries at all. I really hope you keep enjoying the episodes and I intend to keep making them for as long as possible. Season 3 is coming up and you are in for an absolute treat. I am so, so excited. If you'd like to support the podcast, details of how you can do this are in the blurb of the episode you were listening to. And what this also means is you get to listen to all of the episodes of Queer I Am the Podcast, past and future, completely ad-free. So no interruptions whatsoever. What could be better? Anyway, enough of the serious blurb. Let's crack on with the show.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge
2: you a lot.
0: Today I'm speaking with an author whose book has sold 6 million copies and was made into a film starring Nicole Kidman, Colin Firth and Mark Strong. It won the Crime Writers Association Award for Best Debut Novel and the Galaxy National Book Award for Crime Thriller of the Year and has been translated into more than 40 languages. This has been followed up with two outstanding books, Second Life and Final Cut. Please welcome the author, S.J. Watson. So whatever you're up to, this is your time to settle down, relax and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Queer I Am. So Steve, thank you so much for being a guest on Season 2 of Queer I Am, the podcast. Very excited to speak with <laughs> you today.
2: Um, how are you feeling today? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm good. I all think. good? Yeah, I've done my morning's work, so... Nice. What's that, yeah. writing? Or? I've been writing, yeah. Amazing. No, I wanted to do 2,000 words today. I managed about 500, but I'll do. Okay, that's, that's still, still an sort of, achievement. Yeah, it's something, yeah. Okay, and <laughs> so,
0: um, this is a new project, I'm assuming, that...
2: It is, yeah. Well, oh. fairly new. It feels like it's been over for months, but yeah, it's... Uh, Fairly new. Amazing. Yeah.
0: And if you had to pick a song to reflect your mood today, what oh, would that God. song no, be? Don't do this. <laughs> I ask this <laughs> <said> to <laughs> everyone.
2: <laughs> Without warning me, for, uh, the song Savior by St. Vincent. Oh, I've not heard that song. Yeah, it's a bit sexy. Okay. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's a today. little bit S&M. Almost, almost. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's the vibe that's today. Giving away too much, maybe. <laughs> amazing. It's partly because that's what I've been writing about. But anyway, this is all for, Oh. <laughs> this is all for... Oh, amazing. Yeah, okay, yeah, oh, down the line. Maybe. Cool. Yeah, but it all so, kind of
0: fits in. So where did you grow up and where do you call home now?
2: I very, very definitely call Brighton home uh-huh. now. I've yep. been here... Um, Eighteen months, a bit bit longer, not, okay. not quite two years. Okay, um, but yeah, I love it, and uh, it's home. Um, I grew up in the West Midlands, okay. which, of course, you can tell from my accent. <laughs> no, I couldn't really. That's no, it. it's hardly there. <laughs> yeah, you know. um, catch me after I've been speaking to my mum for a bit. Or, okay, or, yeah, but um, I haven't. I didn't consciously try and lose it, but it's more or less disappeared. Yeah, I know. I grew up in a place called Stourbridge. Okay, uh, which is sort of. Uh, Twenty kilometers or something southwest of Birmingham. Okay, in a place called the Black Country. Okay, yep, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, that was where I was born and yeah. raised.
0: And what brought you to Brighton? And did, and did you um, come from the West Midlands to Brighton, or did you go somewhere no, else? No,
2: I no, I I, I studied um, in Birmingham at university, and okay. then which wasn't at, like a huge distance, but I did didn't live at home, okay. and then um spent 30 years wending my way further further and further south okay so yeah I lived in London for a while worked in London um I used to work in health service so I worked there uh, and then had a strange period just outside Tunbridge Wells okay um and then so basically I needed to leave that area just you know and uh, it was either move north back to London uh-huh. or, or move south to Brighton and the seaside and I yeah. thought let's have a change and Go south, so. And yeah. what
0: what is it about Brighton that really gets under your skin? I ask this question to all the guests, yeah. but um, everyone seems to love this city. And I've only been here ten months now oh, myself. Right, okay. So yes, yeah, so I'm oh, God, I'm, like an, well. I'm
2: like the person to be showing you around. Then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but I think this is such a place where everyone just seems to be drawn to it. And then when yeah. you're here, you don't really want to leave. So what mm. is it for, about Brighton for you?
2: Well, for me, it's a combination of things. I like the size of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact that I think. There's a spontaneity to Brighton life for me anyway that I I really enjoy. I like the fact that I can not necessarily have plans of an evening but then yep. they will you know if I if I feel like going out or meeting somebody or doing something usually I can find something to do rather yeah. than in London it just felt like everything needed to be planned mm-hmm. 6 months in advance. Mm-hmm. Um so it's much more and and it, you know I like the fact I can walk from you know virtually walk from one side of the city to the other in mm. half an hour. Yeah. Um and it just feels very kind of vibrant and alive and mm. And the
0: sea. Yeah, Yeah, the sea. Do you know, and I've said this a number of times on the podcast, but for me, I didn't realise how important that would be and I absolutely adore the fact that we live right near the sea, mm. and you know, you can just walk down to the beach and on a summer's evening mm. and sit there with a a drink or an ice cream or whatever, and just chat to friends. Absolutely, and yeah. it's just it really is so wonderful, and I feel very privileged to actually mm. have that on my doorstep. It's really I think lovely
2: for me as well as a writer. There's something about space. Mm. Not, I think you know, different people obviously need different things, but I need space and yeah. the feeling that there's I don't know what it is about my psychology or whatever, but I feel mm. I, I you know, and there's something about being. By the sea, that you can look out and not really see anything yeah. apart from this yeah. expanse of well, I was going to say blue. Grey is probably more accurate. But <laughs> <you> <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? we has been quite blue. It has been just, quite blue. We've had a nice summer. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, you know, there's the whole that's the whole LGBTQIA plus queer mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. in Brighton, which is um, you know quite a, a pleasant. I mean, I've been lucky because I moved here from London, which obviously also has a scene, a big scene, but mm-hmm. it's more disparate. And it feels like in Brighton, it's much more concentrated. So, yeah, yeah, I feel much more kind of
0: connected. Mm. There's a real um, sense of community. Here, mm, isn't absolutely. There? Yeah. Um, and I think that, as you said, there's always something to do. There's always something going on. Mm um and i guess the, you know the power of social media as well you, if you log mm. onto instagram or something there's always oh there's an event tonight come to this or mm. a bar's always got a cabaret show going mm. on or whatever which is quite dangerous um, it can be quite uh, dangerous it can be quite <laughs> dangerous um i've not, i've learned uh, that over the last six months um but uh but yeah it is lovely to, mm. i think I, I went out last night for with some friends and watched a cabaret show and uh, you know, it was just lovely to think, wow, this is my Wednesday evening. Mm. You know, it's, Where did you uh, go on a Wednesday? Uh, at the Queen's Arms. Oh, okay. When right. I watched Caravan mm. Park last night perform oh, okay. West End Wednesdays, mm. which is very cool. Mm. Um, I didn't get home till quite late, but it was it, yeah, <laughs> it's it, all coming in. It yeah, isn't it's it? all coming. <laughs> I know. But um, but yeah, it's just so lovely that that's a Wednesday evening, and yeah. it, it, I think it just adds so much to your life. You know, yeah. it's um, yeah. it's really really lovely. Yeah, absolutely. So you're the writer of three incredible thrillers. Um, we've got Second Life, Final Cut, and obviously Before I Go to Sleep, mm-hmm. um, which was incredible um and i think with over six million copies sold uh <laughs> pretty much safe to say a worldwide smash um mm-hmm. which was then made into a film uh starring nicole kidman colin firth and mark strong which i watched yesterday <laughs> a bit late to the party here um I'm not necessarily, but it. <laughs> it was, i loved it I thought, I thought it was fantastic so congratulations on all of that thank you it's just amazing so but before you came a published author um you worked for the health service mm. which you've just alluded to so how did your writing career begin and how did that career kind of end
2: Yeah, well, I've always wanted to write. It's always been my ambition, really, for as long as I remember. I mean, books have all—I mean, probably like every author you've ever spoken to on Mm -hmm. this podcast—books have always been incredibly important to me. Mm -hmm. You know, um, from I've been reading for as long as I can remember, Um, and I've always—I've really always wanted to write, um, Mm -hmm. but at some point in my life I said to somebody probably my father to be honest you know uh, I want to be a novelist when I grow up and Mm. he was like well you need to have a proper job you know which you know isn't terrible advice it's not a particularly stable career you know Mm. and obviously there are no guarantees that you can make a living from it far from it but um you know so I sort of took that a bit literally and, Mm -hmm. and, and decided I would keep writing as a hobby um I was good at Science at school, so did physics at university, and then didn't really know what I wanted to do with it because I didn't want to be a theoretical physicist and Mm -hmm. do maths the whole time. Partly because I didn't understand a word of it, really. (laughs) Scraped that degree, Um, but um, yeah, ended up in the health service. uh, Studying, well, I studied and uh, And uh, eventually became a clinical scientist working in audiology, which is the science wow. of hearing and balance specialized in I specialized in pediatrics, I was working with uh, hearing impaired um, children Wow. Um, and then, kind of, you know, like many careers, I got as I got more and more senior, I became more and more involved in management and less and less in the in the patients and the families that I was working with, mm-hmm. which was the bit that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't enjoy the meetings as much. And I didn't enjoy talking. I, know I was always rubbish at talking about finances and stuff. And especially mm-hmm. at that period, because we're now at sort of, I suppose, the late. Tw- like 25 tw- 15, 2005 2010-ish mm-hmm. I suppose now um, the NHS was experiencing the beginnings I suppose of the squeeze it's now like feeling really badly mm-hmm. um, and so there was less money to go around and so more and more of my job seemed to be um, kind of firefighting I suppose and not, mm-hmm. not the bits that I really enjoyed and at the same time I was getting older so I was kind of barreling towards my, be- my being 40 which you know it's not old by any means but mm-hmm. it's uh, for me anyway, it felt like it was a significant birthday. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I really felt like there were certain i mean I think when you 're younger, you have this idea don 't you that you can do whatever you want you mm-hmm. know you can you 've got time to train Time's limited yeah you 've got time mm-hmm. to train and uh, to become an astronaut if that 's what you want to do or <laughs> or to learn the flute you know or whatever it might be, but it just feels i 've got forever I can decide you know and then, mm-hmm. and then for the first time when I was sitting forty, I just or approaching forty, I just thought thought you know doors are starting to close there are things I can't do now um or I won't be able to do for much longer and anyway this is a very long-winded answer to your question no, not but, at all. It's really but um I, I kind of re- I, I was very uh, writing was starting to become a bigger part of my life I was doing it as a hobby I'd done it as a hobby my whole life really but mm. with a greater or lesser extent there were some long quite long periods where I'd, I'd hardly written anything but it was becoming much more important to me, mm. and and as I was getting more senior in the health service, I was also finding I'd got less um, time, and more importantly, really less kind of mental energy. By mm. the end, by the time I'd had a long day at work, and I got I'd get home at sort of seven o'clock or something, I didn't have time once I'd had my dinner and whatever to then sit down and start trying to mm. you know write a novel. So mm. I was finding I was doing less and less of it, mm-hmm. and I had this kind of um, it was a combination of things. My my boss. So, I was a deputy head of a department, and my boss was the, was about to retire and well, planning his retirement and I just realized that the next logical step for me would be to take his job, and that would be it then because mm. that would, that would be my, that would be my life because mm. i'd seen how it, how it had consumed him, and I knew i didn't want that mm. um, and at the same time, I kind of had this this moment where i <laughs> I don't, I, it's not really a morbid thought as such, but I just kind of imagined myself towards the end. I was going to say on my deathbed, but towards the end of my <laughs> life. And I thought I, I could live with myself if I could look back on my life and go, I really wanted to write a novel. I had a go at writing a novel and I failed, but mm. I had a go, a proper go, mm. rather than just dabbling, you know. And I thought, I can't, it would be very difficult to live with myself if I look back and said, I, I always wanted to do that, but never really tried. So I thought, I need to make some changes. So the, the short version is I kind of... Well, when I tell this story, I, I, I described that I went into my boss's office and said, I, I would like to go part-time. And he said, no, you can't. And so I flounced I turned on my heel and went, right, I'm leaving. And you did, um, just was that, on did you? Yeah, that's not how it works. <laughs> <But I> mean, <laughs> that, is, that is, the in, in essence, that's what happened. In your it, head, that's yeah, what the yeah, good story is. <laughs> I, I asked if I could go part-time and he said no. And I, and I, I mean, I didn't instantly turn around and go, well, I'm off then. Mm. But within a week, I'd sort of seriously... Started looking for other jobs that mm-hmm. I could go part time at, um, and luckily one came up in the in the in the field I'm specialised in. And it was in a London hospital, so it wasn't far. And so I applied for that, and it was a much more junior position as well. So mm-hmm. I went from being deputy head of a department to um, a fairly junior clinician, and also mm-hmm. from five days a week to three days a week, which gave me the extra two days to work on my writing. But um, it was interesting because, like for for me, I felt like I'd made a sacrifice. Mm. My my, my my take-home pay probably kind of pretty much halved overnight, which you know I was still earning money, and at the time I was in a in a relationship with somebody who was very supportive, so I wasn't eating cold baked beans out of a tin. No, you know, it, no. I'm not. I don't want to kind of over exaggerate it, but I had made a sacrifice, and mm. so I, so I I think it was very important for me because I the, the, I remember the first week that I w- I started my part-time job. On the first sort of Wednesday I had when I didn't have to go to work, I, I thought I'm going to sit down. I'm going to work on on a book today because I didn't make these sacrifices so I could sit around watching daytime television and masturbating. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it kind of because I'd made that sacrifice, um, it, it it kind of gave me that extra push to actually yeah. try and to try and. And achieve something with this time. I I told myself I I would give myself five years, Mm -hmm. and if I wasn't getting anywhere in five years, then I would reassess, reassess and redirect all my energies back into my audiology career. But five years later, I was sitting on a film set with Nicole Kidman.
0: (laughs) It worked out okay Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that what a story. That's that's a good way to end that story. I (laughs) I think I I really resonate with what you're saying though, because I mean, you know, I'm approaching forty, a couple Mm. of years, and. I've always loved this type of, um, like, creativity. I've always loved the idea of interviewing people. Mm. I'm, I'm quite nosy. So for mm. me, sitting down with an autobiography, watching an interview with someone on a chat show, mm. that's how I relax. I mm. love that. So I always thought, God, I'd love to do something like that. Mm. And I never really knew how to do it. Mm. And there is something about uh, getting older. Mm. And, and also, and quite relevant, I lost my hearing in my left ear. Oh, okay. um, in right. a, yeah. I had an ear infection about six years ago. Right. And it completely wiped my hearing wow. and my balance. And I was like, wow, I've got one ear left. And it's mm-hmm. like, I've, if I don't do this now and mm. don't make a, a go of this, mm. I will look back and be so mm. regretful. So let's kind of make something mm. happen. Mm. So I, I completely understand where you're coming from. And you do have to make sacrifices. But if it's something you really love, the, the kind of, I don't know, the sacrifice is outweighed by actually mm. how much a joy you get from it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, ex- exactly that. And I remember I, I joined a writing, this is before all of this, before I'd stopped, I, when I was still working in the, in the health service, I joined a writing group. I remember mm. we met, it was at Brick Lane, I think. Anyway, I only went a couple of times, but I remember there being one guy there who clearly loved his writing. And I mm. and I looked, this is going to sound ridiculous. I looked at his shoes and he'd got, the sole of his shoe was gaffer taped on to the, to the, to the, to the right. you know, to the, his shoes were falling apart, yeah. basically. And I just thought, actually, you know what, I've got this job that's paying me. It wasn't, I mean, I wasn't, you know, rich by any, well, everything's relative, but I, I was comfortable. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, but what am I scared of? Am I scared of like giving this job up and taking the part a part time job and having to gaffer tape? I'd, I'd rather gaffer my shoes together, but mm. be doing something I love mm. than have I don't know Prada loafers. Not that that's my style anyway. But you know what I mean. <laughs> but having really nice shoes. Yeah. But but having to do a job I'm miserable in in order to earn them. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, that's an overly simplistic way of looking at it, but it was a really important moment for me. Like, what do I actually, what actually makes me happy? It's not the material things. Mm. Um I think yeah. we fall
0: into those traps though, don't we because it's all it's all relative you know you you get a job you get a promotion you earn more money mm. and in some kind of way it ties you because you then start living to what you're mm. earning
2: well I mean that was I mean especially as a man the mm. questions I got from from colleagues in in the health service and from and from friends and family as well actually that were like what what are you doing you were you were deputy head of a department and now you've taken this job that is that is like back I mean kind of a backward step in my career of about yeah. 10 years yeah. and nobody could understand it. Everyone was because it's not what you're taught you should be doing. It's no. all about advancing, you know, moving forwards, taking that promotion, mm. being hungry for the next challenge, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And people were shocked. And it's 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 strange because if I was a you know a woman who was like saying oh, you know I'd, I'm concentrating my family or whatever, or I'd like to have a family or whatever, then people might have been more... More acceptable, isn't it? uh, Yeah, but it was, especially as a man, it was a a strange reaction I got from people when I was like, yeah, no, I've taken this job at Band 7. Yeah. At what? Band what? I said 7, yeah. They sort of yeah yeah Yeah, um, good for
0: you for doing it and you know mm. who was laughing at the end of it on the five years when you're there (laughs) well yeah even on the film set i mean that's just it's It's true
2: but it's also i think worth saying that i i knew i'd made it was long before then i knew i'd made the right decision. But long before i'd even finished writing before i go to sleep i knew i knew i'd made the right decision because i was just happier Mm. you know i was just happier
0: Mm. i feel like this podcast has given me so much this year and Mm. opened up so many different doors and different Mm. conversations and opportunities to learn about people and Mm -hmm. different situations and again i think that you can always get something from from anything that you do but Mm. i think if you're doing something you're really passionate about Mm. it does it it does something to your well being, doesn't it? It makes you yeah, feel absolutely. better. Yeah. Um, you know, you wake up a bit lighter, you feel a bit better, you mm. get excited about stuff. Mm. And and also I think the more creative you are and the more your brain is in that space, mm. naturally you become more creative. Mm. It's infectious. Yeah. It's just more creative. Exactly. Um yeah. so before I go to sleep, which, you know, is the kind of main book I want to focus on because it was it was great. And um the film as well as as I said, I watched Are that you yesterday. saying yeah, the others weren't great? No, 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 I'm not saying that at all. Not <laughs> at all, not, not at all. But I, I think the 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 i was really um i think what i loved about it is it really tackles quite a difficult subject matter i guess as well doesn't Mm. it because there's a a number of different factors in there you've got a a situation where the main character christine um you know she's she's finding the true reality of her situation that she's been lied to and she's you know she's obviously suffering with this awful illness as well Mm. um but there's all this kind of deceit and everything going on in the background so i mean what was the inspiration for that and and how easy was it to write that story? Or was it something that actually kept changing over time? Or Yeah,
2: it was difficult. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, of it was course. Fucking it fucking difficult. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so the inspiration, it came, it, it came from... I'd been working on a novel. Um, be- so uh, I gave up my full-time job, went part-time, and I'd been working on a novel. And, I, and at the same time, I was also starting a writing course at the Faber Academy. And I decided... Um, I I could take the novel I had been working on and try and finish it on this course, but I felt like it it wasn't really working, it wasn't making me happy, I didn't know what I was doing and I thought I'd learn a lot more if I was starting a brand new project. So I was kind of in the two or three weeks before the course was due to start, I was keeping my eyes open for ideas of what I wanted to write about. and I saw, I read an obituary in a magazine and it was of a, and because not in, again, not in a morbid sense, but obituaries can actually give you quite good ideas for, I find mm. can give you quite a good ideas for characters because they kind of summarise an entire life from beginning to end yeah. uh, with all the major plot points, if you like, you yeah. know. Um, so I read, I was reading obituaries and I read an obituary of this guy called Henry Malaison and he'd been, he'd spent his whole life being known as Patient HM um, and the obituary described how he—he'd uh, obviously just died. He was—I think—like was eighty-six, I think, when he died. But um, he'd had. Um, an operation on his brain at the age of 27 to try and cure very, very severe epilepsy that he had, mm-hmm. and the operation basically was mostly successful in in that, but it removed the parts of his brain that they th- that they later realised were responsible for causing or for storing memory. Mm-hmm. So the obituary basically described how for the rest of his life he wasn't able to form any new memories. Okay, um, and it really struck me that. He must have woken up on his sort of eighty fifth birthday or whatever, or you know, towards the end of his life. And if he'd if he'd remembered nothing of mm. previous however many I can't do the math, sixty something mm-hmm. years, fifty something years. Um although actually I read later that he'd he'd lost all of his memory. So he oh. so if he if he couldn't remember anything, he must have woken up thinking of himself. Thinking he was still going to be a young man mm. and and I read this obituary, and I just had this mental image of a woman looking at herself in a mirror and expecting to see somebody much younger than than, mm. than the person looking back at her um, and that kind of turned into the opening scene of the mm. book, really. Um, I mean I carried on toying with other ideas, but that 's the one I kept on going back to so you know I decided two or three days before this course was due to start i 'll try and get a head start by writing chapter one, and that 's kind of what I wrote.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's kind of where it came from. Um, and it's funny cause I didn't really realize I was writing a psychological thriller mm. when I sat down to write it. Um, but then, I mean, in, you know, I re- fairly soon realized because those are the kind of books and, and films, but you know, the, the books I'm drawn to are the ones in which there are twists and there are turns and there are people that turn yeah. out to not be, who you know, yeah, yeah. They, they say they are and, and, and all of that. It was almost inevitable it would become that, yeah. Um, I remember I started writing it with just that idea in mind, and I didn't really know what was going to happen, and then I, and then one morning I woke up with this idea in my head about um, and I won't give away the twists, mm. but the the truth that's at the heart of the book, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean by that, <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> um, and I just I thought, oh, could I make that work? Because I knew, and you asked about whether it's difficult to write, yes, because I knew I wanted, I knew it had to be to, to be the book I wanted it to be. I had to write it in the first person. It had to be her, her story in her voice. Yeah. And I thought, oh, but like when you actually read about these um, people who suffer from this condition of mm. amnesia, they don't re- they don't remember things for twenty four mm. hours. That's the one thing I kind of made up.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, they actually remember things for sort of seven or eight minutes is the average. Oh, okay. So, wow. it, and it, it's really heartbreaking actually because yeah. you know I was watching documentaries and reading accounts of literally people would be there with their partner. And their partner would get up to go to a different room and make a cup of tea or something or to answer the phone or whatever. And they would come back and, and the person would be, where have you been? Why did you leave me here? And they'd really think they've been, they'd been mm-hmm. abandoned for sort of seven or eight years or mm-hmm. something uh, yeah. rather than seven or eight minutes. And so, you know, I knew that 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 would be a challenge to write a book mm-hmm. from that person, a person in that situation in the first person. Mm-hmm. But if I could make it work, it could be something really different that I'd never read. I think Um, it does
0: as well. It really, it really does flow in that way. And I think the way, again, in the movie and the way it's kind of, you know, again, we won't give loads away, but how, how she kind of remembers things Mm. and how they get her to remember things. Mm. And, you know, you, it's, it is like Groundhog Day, isn't it? It's kind of, Mm. you know, she wakes up and she's like, you know, who, who am I? And, Mm. and yeah, I I thought it was really, really well done. Mm. Um, And I mean, I mean, obviously we'll come onto the film, you know, often when books are made into films you know, and I speak to a number of friends, and I'm like, I'm going to watch this film. Have you read the book? And I'm like, No, I haven't. Oh, you need to read the book; because yeah. it's better than the film. And I think that's always yeah. kind of the statement that people make. But I think you were you were quite happy with the way this was portrayed, weren't you? In terms of the outcome of the film, I'm
2: contractually obligated to say <laughs> <laughs> no. I am actually contractually obligated to say I like the book, but uh, the film. But I did, no, I did like the film. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was a really good. Um, I think Rowan, the the, the, the director and, and screenwriter, he wanted to do a very sort of like paired back. Mm. Pared down, simple—not simplistic. That's the wrong word. But very kind of Hitchcockian, mm-hmm. you know, no, no kind of CGI bells and whistles. All very sort of like straightforward, dark mm-hmm. noirish mm-hmm. thriller. And that's what he did. And I, you know, it's, it's. I think it's a really. Um, I see. I, I kind of. Im- I think of it as being a little bit like a cover version. You know, it's quite different to the book that I wrote. Yeah. But the story is basically the same. Mm-hmm. The characters are the same. The important things are the same. And he's just chosen a slightly different way of telling the story. Yeah. Um, And I guess there's
0: elements of of the. I think I read somewhere elements of the book that you know if that was to be in the film, Mm. it would be quite repetitive. So they have to kind of strip things back, Mm. and and I think that's always going to be the way because you're you're putting a you know 400 page book into an hour and a half, aren't you? Yeah. Um, But obviously the cast were incredible. Mm. Um, So (laughs) Nicole Kidman, Mm. Colin Firth, who I just thought. Was the grittiest role I've seen him in? Mm. To be honest, I, mean, I think I,
2: yeah, it might well be actually. I, yeah. I,
0: I didn't expect that performance. Mm. I thought he was incredible, and um, I mean, it's
2: really genius casting, anyway. I mean, again, we can't talk too much about it, but especially with Mark Strong playing the character that he does, because yeah. you almost expect them to be the other way around. Yes, he's known for playing kind of gritty, you yeah. know, gangsterish kind of yeah. dark characters, yeah. and yet he's there in this cuddly doctor. Yeah, it's,
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's really, really good, and. You made a comment about um, Nicole Kidman being on the set and mm. really getting into the character and mm. kind of changing a line and saying no, Chris, Christine wouldn't wouldn't mm. say that. You know that we mm. need to change it to X, Y, and Z. And mm. so, how how did it feel for you to be a writer? You've you've you know you've gambled everything. You've kind of taken on this challenge. You've written this <laughs> book, and then you're standing there watching that kind of unfold. How does that feel as a writer?
2: It's I mean, ironically for a writer, it's really hard to put into words. Okay, it was it was such being on the set. Especially the first day I walked onto the set, they were filming, um, some of the scenes in the upstairs in the kind of bathroom and the bedrooms of the house, mm. um, cause that was all done on all the, it's on, all on a, on a stage in um, not Pinewood, the other one, Twickenham um, Studios. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it wasn't a real house, but, um, so to, but to walk, although, although the house was very different to the one I was imagining when I wrote the book, Yeah. um, yeah. It, it felt strange. Like just walking into the rooms felt really weird. Mm. Like this, this has started in my head. Mm. None of this. This is a story that's being told, and it started in my head. It's yeah. like really. But then when when I when I um basically i mean i don't know if you've ever been on a film set but they're essentially really boring places there's, okay. there's a lot of there's not a lot of not very much at all going on okay well, there's lots going on waiting around interesting. Though. yeah yeah there's lots but you know the first, i was still excited i was i was you know it wasn't just nick i was excited to see the people carrying cables it was just yeah. like i'm on a film set this is yeah. amazing but um i was sat there l- looking at my phone or something or pl- even playing a game i don't quite remember but um I get a tap on my shoulder and it's Liza the producer, and she said, "Oh, can I just introduce you to Nicole?" So I look up and Nicole Kidman is stood wow. there in front of me, like and she's, as we know, is very tall and she's kind of towering over me. But it wasn't just that; it was that she was dressed, she was in costume with a wig on and everything, and it was so strange. To, it was like this my my imagination had literally been come to life. Yeah. I' had literally come to life because although I don't think I. Particularly describe Christine in the book. Mm. I mean, there's a bit where she's looking at herself in the mirror, but that's more about the difference between how she was, what she was expecting to see and what she what is. What she seeing. does see, yeah. It's not, it's not so much like her, her hair is this color and her, and her yeah. nose is this shape or whatever like that. But Kidman just looked exactly like yeah. <laughs> I'd imagined Christine to look. Yeah. Um, and it was just so weird. Yeah. It was just so so weird. Was she super lovely? Um yeah, she was mostly. No, yeah. she was. No, she was lovely. Yeah. But it was interesting because like um I cause I was on the set quite a lot. Uh-huh. I mean, Liza the producer said, i'll oh, just come whenever you like. I mean, and what and what are you gonna do? Yeah, well uh, yeah, if, I'd be there all the time. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if the choice is like I could stay at home and work on my novel, or I could just get in a car and go to park to Twickenham mm. Studios and hang around with you know, Nicole Kidman and Colin Perth. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Um <laughs> so I was there quite a lot. Um but when i saw her on the set she was very friendly but she was she was obviously working there was obviously there's a bit of a barrier there but not a bar- yeah mm. um you know she was obviously doing her thing mm. but um when i met her on the, the premiere um she was just really lovely like you know well like we had the kind of it was just in a in a hotel in london and but while we'd all seen the film, obviously I've seen it like 95 times at that point. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to watch it again. So the, so the gr- a group of us who kind of didn't need or want to see the film went and had dinner together. Mm-hmm. I was like sat opposite Nicole Kidman having dinner, which is nothing I never thought I would say. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm from Stourbridge. People from Stourbridge don't sit opposite Oscar winning actors. <laughs> Um, but she was just really, really lovely, just chatting about her kids and her life and trying to grow roses, the problems of growing roses in Nashville. Wow. And uh, just very A down to earth, person. normal stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. they are, you know, yeah. they just do an extraordinary job. And. Uh-huh. and um, yeah, yeah, she's very, I mean, we're not like on, we're not like best mates. She's not on speed dial. She's, no, <laughs> but, but,
0: but it's, it, I think it's lovely. And it must, it, I mean, does it feel lovely to think that, as you say, like an Academy award winning, award winning actress looks at your story and goes, wow, I want to play that character. I mean, that must be such a compliment for you as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, it is. It's, it's it was a big, um. Because you know, we sold the film rights, and I'd heard so many stories about film rights that get sold, but then films, you know, never, never get anywhere near yeah. being made. Um and you know when there was sort of talk we're going to go after you know Nicole Kidman and see if she wants to do it and I was like yeah she's going to turn it down going to end up with the woman that plays Janice Battersby and I did. <laughs> not that that I'm, you know, that would be fine too I don't want to in any way you know disrespect anybody but because I couldn't do that job but no. you know I always imagine it's going to be you know um, they're going to say all this kind of stuff in order yeah. to get me to sign the sign on the line on the dotted line and then yeah. it's going to well actually we're not going to get Nicole Kidman we're going to get someone else yeah so it was a real yeah it was a real really nice, pleasant, pleasant surprise.
0: And what happens when you... Sorry, and I'm being really nosy now, but what happens when you sign over the rights? Is that kind of like it? You're paid your money and you've got no more say? Or... Is it like, if the film does really well, you then have
2: more kind of money made? Or Well, technically, I have no say. Yeah, okay. You sign over the rights and, and it's then they're, they own they the own rights it. and yeah. they can do... I mean, I suppose if, if you know, if Rona had turned around and said, actually, we want to set it in space and, and, and get rid of the whole amnesia thing, then yeah. I could have argued that's not my work anymore. And I could probably have, I don't know, had my name taken off it or something. I don't quite know. But. Yeah. But I was very lucky because Rowan was very keen um, for me to be involved. Um, He he was telling me it it was the first... Before that, he'd remade Brighton Rock. Okay, yeah. um, And he'd done... A remake of it, or of an adaptation of a different—I can't quite remember what it was—but it was another author who's mm-hmm. who's no longer with us. So he was he was saying that this before I go to sleep was the first adaptation he'd done of a, of a living author's work, oh, and wow. so he was like really keen for me. He wanted me to like it basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, and so he would, he was talking to me about decisions he was making and, and, you know, he'd run through things with me and he'd ask me what I thought, but mm-hmm. I'd already decided, you know, unless I really violently disagree with something, I'm just going to let him make the film. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then, you know, because it's not my job, it's not what I do. It's not my skill mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so yeah, so I didn't, I didn't really have any, I mean, I was consulted, but I didn't really have any say in it. Any say into that? And, and if it had come down to an argument, you know, I mean, cause you, but you can understand why if I'd have sat there and said, I don't want Nicole Kim and I don't like her. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no way I should have that power. No. Um, and then, the yeah. And then in terms of money, yeah, they, they, they there's this, I, I don't get any money from box office returns or anything. Right. It's, it's a kind of one-off fee that so they pay. Kind of, they pay the rights yeah. and that's kind of how it yeah. works.
0: I, I've always been interested about that because I guess it's, uh, there are so many books that are made into films Mm. and some of them are so, so successful. Mm. And you think, okay, what... I I mean, I wonder, as an author, when you write a book, I mean, obviously, you hope the film company knows the worth of the film and Mm. what it's going to do, but... um, I don't know it kind of I just thought what about if you get paid an amount of money but actually the film then surpasses everything that everyone expected and then well
2: yeah <laughs> you
0: know that's that's the thing is that it's like you're, you've got your check yeah. but actually everyone else has got you know
1: But well, I this. think
2: I think there that you've just got to realize that what what if a, a hugely successful film is still only going to benefit you because you're it's just going to be a two-hour advert for your book and people yeah. are going to want to read the book absolutely and, and so yeah and did that's the book the kind of
0: do it. even better after the film as well did,
2: uh, yeah it went back into the um not for very long but it went back into the Top ten, in the bestseller oh, list for a while after the wow. film came out. Yeah, it's incredible. So, yeah, so cool, so mm. so cool. Thank you for it sharing. It's the that. dream, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. Like, you know, I mean,
0: yeah. to think that you've had this. I mean, that is just like you know, dreams happen. You know, mm. you've you've had this dream. You're doing your day job. Mm. You've got this idea, mm. and then this becomes a reality. I mean, it was
2: so weird. I remember sitting with my 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 then partner. We were having dinner, and and this is after. I think I was. This is when I was still writing the book. Mm-hmm. So I was, I hadn't finished it. I was still on my course. It was all very sort of like, you know, people on my course liked it, mm-hmm. but, you know, and i that's right. And I'd just met Claire Conville, who's now my agent. Mm-hmm. So she'd come and, and, and spoken to us all about, you know, what agents do and what next steps should be. And I remember sitting with my ex now, my now ex and saying, in an ideal world, of course, because I really liked Claire, I really mm-hmm. gelled with her and still do <laughs> mm, yeah. but um i remember i said to my ex i said you know in an ideal world uh, i'm going to give this book to claire claire's going to love it she's going to sell it around the world someone's going to want to make a film of it and blah blah blah. and it's exactly what it happened. happened yeah it's amazing you ordered it, yeah, it? The, well, the I, universe manif- I manifested it yes <laughs> in wagamama <laughs> in tottenham court Road. <laughs>
0: this is a new the new book for you how to manifest your dreams yeah. <laughs> amazing
1: that's borough.com slash acast. Borough.com
0: slash acast. So obviously you're part of our beautiful queer community here in, in Brighton. And I think we've talked about that as well in terms of what you know how how special that is to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you like to write something for the queer community or capture the essence of Brighton and the community within one of your stories in the future? And I mean you've you've mentioned about S and M, so I'm not sure what <laughs> what, that, what that's gonna entail. Yeah. But I mean, is that you know, is that a dream of yours as well? Is
2: there- Yeah, I mean, very, I think um, <clears throat> before I go to sleep, it doesn't really have anything to do with my sexuality because, because I, d- I very definitely wanted to distance itself, mm. distance um, the characters from me because mm-hmm. I think often when people write debut novels, they make the mistake... And it 's not always a mistake, but it's often a mistake of of putting them too much of themselves in, okay. in it, which i did, which i want didn 't want to do which is why you know she's a she's a cisgender straight yeah. forty seven year old woman mm. and i you know i mean of course she's actually really similar to me in terms of um what she's going through mm-hmm. uh, in a way I realize i'm on the, every page of that book, but anyway blah 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 mm-hmm. i didn't want to write about um queer or lgbt issues um, it's kind of crept in a little bit in the second book, mm-hmm. um, but a very minor character who, mm-hmm. who actually, um, I still I feel like I haven't done that character justice. I wouldn't be surprised if she crops up again. Is this uh, the character when we were on the phone the other day? Yeah, you were she's called
0: frosty, and she'd be. they'd be non-binary. Yeah, um, I
2: mean, I think I think probably she would refer. She would probably use they pronouns. If I was writing her now, yeah, she would use they, they pronouns, pronouns. But yeah. at the time, I mean, it was only. I was writing, writing that back in 2014 so okay. actually that's nearly 10 years isn't it but yeah it wasn't so much of a
0: Well you think conversation evolved so much mm. I mean you know how much you know the queer community is having more of a voice I mean there's still mm. so much, such a long way to go but actually you know people's voices are being heard more and more and actually that's only going to add to people's art and what they make mm. and produce so I yeah. guess naturally mm. that's something that when the conversation's more relevant and it's there mm. you can use that as part of your your work I guess mm. Absolutely
2: um, yeah um so yeah I wouldn't be surprised if I, if I revisit that character at some point. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah the book I'm working on now I mean I'm, I'm kind of you know I'm I'm a little bit superstitious about saying too much about it mm-hmm. in case the wheels fall off tomorrow mm-hmm. and I, I suddenly scrap the whole thing which has happened before. Okay. <laughs> but it it's partly it's very I'm I'm kind of I'm actually immersing myself in that world now. Okay. Um I'm I'm basically writing I, I've always been slightly frustrated by um, straight writers who mm-hmm. write gay characters. Uh-huh. Um, I'm choosing my words very carefully here, but like, there's one in particular, and I won't say who it is because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But she's written this book, and uh, it, there's a gay character, a gay detective in it, and it's all very lovely and everything. But it's it doesn't represent my experience of the gay mm-hmm. well, of of my queer gay world anyway. Mm-hmm and i just thought i want to actually go from one extreme to the other and really really investigate so i wanted to write a sex positive you know um book that really examines um what it means to be gay so i you know i have got things to say in this book about monogamy and mm. um um slightly more unusual sex practices shall mm-hmm, we say mm-hmm. um I, and you were asking about setting it about a book set in Brighton. I'm not quite sure where it's set yet mm. um partly because one of the things I really want to write about is homophobia okay because I do think there is a sense um that that's kind of a that battle has been won, and that's mm-hmm. not my experience mm-hmm. i mean you know i I live in Kemptown of course i don't I don't get daily you know but but the, but there are people that live. Yeah. Where I'm from, for example, I'm sure you yeah. know in the Midlands that, that have a very different experience of homophobia, and, and, and would definitely say it's not it's not a battle that's been mm-hmm. won or something that's been conquered, mm-hmm. and we still hear terrible stories, don't we? People get, getting attacked, and mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. it's it's anyway. I'm, I'm kind of waffling, but so I'm not sure if I'm going to set it in Brighton because the homophobia that my character is experiencing, I'm not sure he'd actually get in Brighton, so okay. I might be set elsewhere. Yeah, but I definitely I, I want to write about. um the other side, I suppose, the the less family-friendly side of yeah, the gay world.
0: I, I get that. And, and actually, you know, I've had, since I've been here, I've had so many different conversations with people, conversations I would have never have had back in Suffolk where I'm from, mm. because the community wasn't there. And actually the people that I'm speaking to probably couldn't relate to the stuff we're talking about. Mm. So I've got, you know, friends now that we, you know, we are talking about non-monogamy and open mm. relationships and, you know, uh, you know, I don't bat an eyelid now that there's a mm. sauna down the road and there's all mm. this kind of stuff. And it's, but actually, if you think rural Suffolk or, or any place where actually it's not kind of, you know, queer mm. centric mm. to other people, that's almost like a completely different alien world. Yeah. And I think it's, it is about kind of having more of a positive, kind of natural conversation about it. Mm. Um, and I, I'm even already thinking about season three of the podcast and mm. I, I definitely would like to have roundtable discussions about those kind of mm. things because I think mm. it would be really good to have lots of different opinions on, mm. on that. So
2: I might invite you back for well, a Well, <laughs> do, you, please. I'd love that. because I mean, it's sort of, I I want to write a book in which my character has problems, but the problems don't come from the fact that he's, him, he's in a non-monogamous relationship. No. They don't even come from, they don't come, from, I'll remove the word even from that sentence. They don't come from the fact that he uses, um, you know, uh, sex spaces like so on and so on. The problems come from other people's yeah. um, decision or or, mm. or or opinion that that is in some way wrong, mm. and that his relationship must be in some way less valid because he and his boyfriend sleep with other people. Yeah, um, it's like the shame that
0: yeah. that's been felt on the community for a long, long time. Absolutely, yeah. And actually, it's reclaiming that and saying no, no this is mm. actually because it. You know, a lot of relationships and a lot of things that are set up in the world are. You know, it's it's from an old kind of belief, isn't it? It's mm. Christianity and mm. patriarchy, and that, you know what? Yeah. You know what? Mm. What you know is the norm, and what's and actually a lot of that stuff when you read about it is it's just kind of a bit archaic and mm. kind of actually not that nice. And mm. so to be able to have spaces or have situations in life where you're liberated and you're free, mm. that's that's great, you know. Mm. And um, again, I think I I do wonder sometimes whether we are the only community talking about it and actually whether there's people in other communities that wish they could have those more open conversations maybe Um,
2: I think you know I think it's that thing isn't it that I I always I also always really resent or. yeah, I resent it when when straight people are effectively saying we don't mind you being gay, but mm. as long as you keep it, everything that you do that's not what we do, mm. as long as you're basically you act like you're heterosexual, mm. you know, but anything that you might do that isn't that, then we don't want to hear, don't about, hear it. about it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which is like that doesn't really. No, you know, I and mean, of course there's nothing wrong with it with a gay couple who want to have a monogamous relationship and no. settle down and have a cat and blah blah blah. There's, I'm not in any way saying that that's wrong. No. I'm just saying in this book, yeah, <laughs> which isn't about me, and yeah. you know, maybe it's a little bit, <laughs> you know, um, I'm just saying there are other ways of looking at things and living, and living exactly.
0: I think it's about writing your own rules, isn't it? Mm. And actually it's about, you know, we, we don't have to just conform in mm. life in any way, regardless mm. of whether it's sexuality or something mm. else, you know. You get to decide how you want to live your mm. life, and that's that's important. Um, yeah.
2: and, and, you know, and I think as queer people, because we've rejected by de- almost by definition we've rejected the rule book that we were handed as we were growing up mm-hmm. the expectations that were passed on to us this mm-hmm. is what it's going to have because we've said no actually I'm not doing any of that mm. we are at free to design yeah. how we want to live and absolutely. how we want to have our re- conduct our lives and have our relationships Yeah, um, absolutely so yeah I'm I'm I think that's a really interesting subject I think it, yeah I <laughs> well think... I hope I finish the book there and I do i
0: will be definitely reading it I think it it sounds great and I think again it's I think you know people People in the community, I think it's really important to to read things and to um, you know or, or watch things that really reflect you. I remember growing up mm. and never feeling like there was anything on the television or mm. anything on in books that really reflected how I felt. Mm. And you know, queer literature is there's, there's so much more out there now, isn't there? Mm. It's just you know, there's yeah. you can get so much and it's it's great. Um, I recently read the uh, Nick and Greg books, which were written by um, I think it's John. Roman Baker. So Brighton Brighton author's like five books set in the fifties right Mm. up to I think up to like the late sixties, early seventies. Um, and there's five books and it's about kind of, you know, these relationships where um they're obviously getting together as teenagers in the time where, you know, you couldn't be gay. It's all set in Brighton. Mm. Um and then there's times where there's four people living in a house and mm-hmm. they're all in love with each other and mm. they're all sleeping together and it was really refreshing to mm. to read those books. Um, mm. And I, I would love to speak to to him about them actually because mm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed them. And and again, it's I think it was great just to read something that was different to what mm. society deems as you know Mm. what relationships look like for example Mm. but i'd really i really recommend that you can get them on amazon okay they're a a good read Mm. um but there is there's so much out there now which you can read Mm. so i think you know your book sounds like it would just add another (laughs) another another layer of what people are looking for within the community which is fantastic
2: yeah yeah but i am actually writing about my well not myself in you know that that's not my character but i'm writing about my sexuality and my experience of the world yeah and a much more direct way
0: and do you think that's actually um quite cathartic as well as a not just an author but as a person in terms of processing um your life and
2: i don't know if it's cathartic because i don't i don't know that it, it doesn't feel like i'm screaming into the abyss i'm not i'm not mm. writing my pain mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> there are other books in which i might, <laughs> I might, I might be doing that um and actually because I, th- I do think that's that side of my life i'm pretty i mean i yeah i wish i could go back back in time and tell my sort of 18 year old self, this, but at that side of my life, I feel pretty sorted about now. Chilled, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, lovely. So it doesn't feel cathartic, but it does feel like um much more than the other books, probably. I've actually got something to say, mm. and, I, and I think it needs to be said because I'm not hearing anyone else say it. Yeah. Certainly so not in kind of mainstream fiction. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I look forward to the film as well. Yes. <laughs> it sounds interesting. <laughs> it might be R-rated the way I'm going. Way yeah. I'm going. <laughs> I might have to tone it down before I send it to my editor. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so we always talk about allyship on the podcast mm. as well. And I think, you know, we both will probably agree with this, that allyship is incredibly important inside Mm. and outside of the community. So what does it mean to you and what advice would you give to someone that wants to be an ally to our community? Not just from outside of the community, but actually how can we be better allies to people in the community like our trans siblings, for example? Mm.
2: It's a tricky one, isn't it? I think, because it it, it ought to be really simple. Mm. I think it's not even just about the queer community. I think we should be just treating everyone that we meet with respect Mm -hmm. um and trying to keep an open mind i mean i know i mean i think the 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 trans and you know the whole conversation about trans and pronouns and all of that kind of stuff um you know i've got friends in their 20s and it's i think it's healthy that we listen to each other Mm -hmm. you know i'm 51 And so it's not it's not necessarily going to be the case that I'm just going to instantly be on board with everything they say and agree with everything. Mm -hmm. But it's it's important for me that I maintain that ability to keep an open mind Mm -hmm. and to hear what they're saying and Mm -hmm. to understand and but but primarily respect them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I think it just all comes down to respect, really. Um, Being decent to each other.
0: Yeah, I mean,
2: yeah. You know, I've got I've got older people in my life who, um, and again, I don't want to kind of like focus on the kind of gender and transgender issues, but who who do struggle with certain aspects. Mm-hmm. And it's like, as long but as long as they have an open mind and aren't disrespecting people, then I think they're not lost causes. Mm-hmm. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, I think
0: it comes um, down to fundamentals. Just mm-hmm. you know, be kind and mm-hmm. accept differences. And mm-hmm. you know, as you say, listen. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we, we can't speak for other people we need people to speak for themselves mm. but they you know to know that they have people that are listening mm. and you know i think that's yeah what we all value really isn't mm. it as 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 queer people absolutely um, yeah. and, and not just in the queer community in other communities as well that mm. yeah. need allies and you mm. know i think it's it's incredibly important um no that's amazing I, I really like that And in terms of the queer community what if any what changes would you like to see in the next kind of 12 months is there anything in particular you think okay this is a conversation we need to keep talking about, or you know.
2: Well, I, suppose, the I can't. I can't sort of name. Maybe talk about a specific conversation, but mm-hmm. I do worry <clears throat> about what's happening in the states because mm-hmm. um, you know the cliche is that you know when America sneezes, we catch a cold, mm-hmm. and it's but it's kind of true. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, with the overtone of, overturning of Roe versus Wade, and you know, it's it's likely that they're going to be coming after the queer community next. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it's already started. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they don't say gay stuff. Yeah, Florida, uh, yeah, you know, and I think there's a constant. The, the, I mean, I again, I don't want to sound like an old man, old fuddy duddy, or you know, <laughs> a grumpy old man or anything. But you know, I remember when Pride was a, was a march. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when it wasn't about um, you know Christina Aguilera playing and or Kylie or whoever, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I like a party as much as anybody, mm-hmm. and and that's great. But I do think we need to remember the importance of fight. I th- I think it's too easy to think you win rights and then they're yours forever, yeah. And and it's always forward momentum, yeah. Um, but it's not, and I've and I've seen things you know go backwards, and so I think the conversation we just need to keep on having the conversation but remembering it's it's it is still a fight there are still people who want to take our rights away from us mm-hmm. there are still people who don't think we should be able to get married there are still mm-hmm. people who think you know the set of genitals you were born with should define who you are for the rest of your life mm-hmm. um and it, i think it's just important to remain to to re- remember to you know i was going to say remain angry that that's not perhaps quite the right way of putting it but To remember that, you know, we do need to be mindful of what's happening Mm. and uh, remember to defend what we've won because the battles aren't over and I, I do worry that what might be coming down the track.
0: Mm-hmm. I um. think it's really interesting what you just said about Pride, actually, because obviously, you know, this was my first Brighton Pride mm. um, this year, um, and I loved it. I had a, I had a great time. I was mm. a little bit exhausted by the end of it, if
2: I'm honest. But it was well. It, it's not Pride if you're not knackered. No, this is it. Absolutely,
0: <laughs> loads of people were going out on the Sunday, and I was just in bed by about seven o'clock. I was so tired. But um, <laughs> even I did better than that. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know, and you're right. It's it's great to have all these big artists celebrate, and yeah, you know. And I
2: don't wanna, I don't want to sort of say you know we should. No, be banging, I agree. You know? I agree
0: with you. But I think you're right though. the fundamentals come back down to it's a protest we Mm. don't have global equality we Mm. need Pride for that reason Mm. and actually there will be lots of people that do attend Pride that maybe don't even realise why they're attending Pride it's Mm. just a big queer celebration Mm. and actually there are people which is great too which is great obviously and we want everyone Mm. to be included but I think there is a real reason for it, and mm. there's going to need to be that reason until mm. we have that quality. So I think that's a really interesting, interesting point. We we can't lose sight of the fact why we're there. Mm. Um, I thought the parade was, you know, was beautiful, and I thought there were so many people out in the finery, and mm. it was it was wonderful to be there. And to I think for me as well, it was a celebration. It was a celebration of being part of that community and mm. uh, and being in the city that I now love and mm. all of Absolutely, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I, I do agree with you. I think that there mm. are there are reasons we have it, and we've got to remember those mm. as well. And and hopefully people that you know come to pride who are not in the community educate themselves about why we're mm. having it it's not just a party there is mm. more more to it mm. so um i think that's that's a really really you know really good point mm. so we're going to finish with a quick fire round oh, I, do, god, okay. I do this on every podcast right. so <laughs> let's see how quick you can be so queer icon
2: oh god no i've, I've fallen at the first hurdle didn't <laughs> i i know i'm supposed to say madonna or share <laughs> or something like that but they they're not they're not really my icons in terms mm. of I don't know who I love Courtney Love. But oh. she's but, but also she's a deeply flawed person. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm yeah. not really sure. <laughs> what but, is that about Courtney Love that you, you I love? just I just I love the fact that she's just a really strong woman who doesn't act like who kind of, you know, who, who her brand of feminism is very like, I'm gonna behave like one of the guys. I'm gonna, yeah. you know I'm not gonna be a groupie who turns up and wants to give the the rock star a blowjob. I'm gonna be the rock star. Yeah, yeah. And I I really, I really like that. But would I say she was my queer icon? I'm not sure. Or
0: well, maybe there's an element of, you know, owning yourself and and you know just being fundamentally who you are and actually Mm. that's that's again that's an icon maybe just Mm. someone that you can look up to and go yeah "Yeah, god you're fierce that's that's cool yeah okay um queer anthem oh god i should have prepared this shouldn't i i couldn't because you didn't tell me
2: these (laughs) mm. um you're in the
0: pub you've had a beer or a gin or whatever you're drinking again
2: like what would the song be oh god can we come back to that one? Yeah, of course we can. Yeah. No, sorry, because music is hugely important to me. And it's like it's like choosing the my all the right time favorite you song. You don't want to be shamed for the wrong song. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Your favourite movie? Um, probably still fight, well either Fight Club. Can I have? Can I say it's either Fight Club? Okay. Or Under the Skin. Mm. I think is that right? Is that what it's called? I'm <laughs> saying it's my favourite movie. Can't remember it's called. It's a book by. It's got Scarlett Johansson in it. Okay. I've not seen that. No. Yeah, it's very good. It's very
0: weird. Okay. Very weird. Okay. But yeah, uh, let's go with Fight Club. Fight Club. I can remember what that one's called. Okay. Your ultimate holiday destination?
2: <gasps> Iceland. I love Reykjavik.
0: Oh my goodness. We went there a few years ago. It's amazing. What time it? of year have you been?
2: I've uh, March and November.
0: Okay. We went January, mm. my husband's birthday, and mm. it was incredible. We saw the Northern Lights. Mm. And, I mean, it was like three hours of daylight. It was mm. so dark, mm. but it's so beautiful, isn't yeah. it? Did you go to Mon- um, Mount
2: Gullfoss and... I think so. I can't remember any of the places I went to A call cool, so but I did, golden I did circle, the Golden Circle. circle yeah, yeah so, so you would have gone there. Yeah, yeah. I
0: would loved, we'd well, still laugh about it. I mean, the the waterfall um, was frozen. I mean, it, mm. just, it was just oh, so, yeah, so yeah. beautiful. It was mm. covered in snow and, and, and ice and stuff. But I just absolutely loved the health and safety measures. It was like, don't <laughs> cross this line. And it was like a little rope and then a <laughs> yeah. cliff that you just fell to your death. I yeah. was like, oh, you know. Yeah. But an amazing place though, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. incredible yeah. yeah, love it. Um, what are you drinking when you go out? What's your drink of
2: choice? IPA or wine? Oh, okay. depends if I'm having dinner or just drinks. If it's okay. just drinks, it'll be a pint, pints of IPA. Not two, well, yeah, loads of pints, loads of pints. Yeah. IPA. Yeah. And do you have a
0: wine for the season? So do you have like a white in the summer, red in the winter?
2: Not all it tends to. I tend to drink more white in the win, in the summer and more yeah. red in the winter. But no, I I, I if I had to, if I had to give one up forever, it would, I would give up wine and go stick with red. Yeah. I, I will have a red wine in the wind, in the summer quite happily. Nice Mulbeck or something. Or yeah. Oh, I love a yeah. Malbec, yeah, I love Malbec. Yeah, oh,
0: you know it's that time of year now, isn't it? Stewing dumplings and red wine mm. on a Sunday, and mm. oh, I can't wait! So excited. <laughs> um, who would play you in the movie of your life? Oh God. <laughs>
2: Um, someone incredibly handsome. Yes. <laughs> Talented. Uh, actually, Mark, let's go with Mark Strong. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Actually, I can see the kind of... bald, basically.
0: <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. No, but he's quite a strong fierce character isn't he i mean that would be a real compliment i guess to... it would
2: be yeah maybe that's the wrong person maybe it should be someone no i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah
0: no okay and i was gonna say what's next but i think we kind of know what's next really you got the new yeah well Birkin. yeah
2: i mean i'm it's kind of strange because at the moment i'm working on three books oh okay. and at the moment i'm I, i'm most inten- intensively working on that one we've talked about yeah but i'm also i've written a novella a ghost story which is completely different wow. so i don't know which one is going to come out next amazing um, and then and then the other one I'm dabbling with, um, you know, I shouldn't maybe tempt fate by talking about it, but I have talked about it on different podcasts. So I might as well. I'm thinking I'm probably going to do a sequel to Before I Go to Sleep. Oh. Oh. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Wow. But it won't be then the next day she wakes up and this happens. It's going to be a different yeah um, take on it, which I've got to quite, I mean, it's, I've 90% figured out. But wow. That's kind of, that's occupying the other... 30% of my brain is like planning that. So, And is yeah.
0: that quite um scary prospect as well? Because obviously when you've had a book that's done so well and then it's been a movie mm. and then to write a sequel, is that, do you feel the pressure there with that?
2: I, if you'd have asked me this six months ago, I would have said, yeah. But you're more kind but,
0: of comfortable now.
2: Uh, yeah. I kind of reached a point towards the end of last year where I just, I don't know, I had a bit of a moment where I just thought, you know what, I'm in an incredibly lucky position. Because, mm. you know, I'm sure that, the sensible thing for me to do in my career at the moment would not be to write a queer novel about SMC, BDSM. You know, <laughs> not that that you know. That wouldn't, I'm sure that anyone involved in my career would tell me that's not a brilliant idea in terms of like sales and building my brand and everything like that. But towards the end of last year, I just thought, you know, I just really had this kind of, I'm in a very lucky situation. I can just go fuck my brand, you know. Mm. I want to write what I want to write. Mm. It's much more important for me to enjoy what I'm writing and to be writing something that I think is important mm. and that I feel like I've got something to say. So... um what was the question? So yeah, I don't, I don't actually feel pressure. I feel the pressure to, if I was to write a sequel to before I go to sleep. I would feel, I feel the pressure to make it really good. Okay, um, because I suppose there will be a group of, you know, a large group of people perhaps that would be interested in that more, much more than they might be interested in something else because mm-hmm. of having read the first book. Mm-hmm. So it will be subject to more scrutiny. But mm-hmm. I stopped. I think, you know, every, as my career and my life and as it goes on and I get older and everything and I get further into my career, I just sort of care, not care less in terms of like quality control. Quality control is still very high for me, you know, and I throw away many more words than I, mm-hmm. than I ever released onto the world. But I care much less about what people mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Um, we can take more risks, I guess, because you've, yeah. had, you've had success and you're in a, in
0: a position where you can go, actually, yeah. this is what I really want to do now. Exactly. And yeah. I guess when you're starting out, it's maybe you you kind of hear that with a lot of artists like musicians and stuff they kind of have to you know do what's going to do mm. well and then actually they mm. then tend to release an album or something that actually is just there this is who i really am mm. or whatever mm. um so i guess maybe in the same well, kind yeah, of way it's, it's true
2: isn't it i think in, in the world of music you know, you get you get these people who kind of get get tired of playing the corporate game and yeah. get tired of being told what they should be recording and what kind yeah. of songs they should be writing and releasing and, and just you know release their slightly off the wall yeah not literally off the wall album but you know they're they're slightly yeah. left field yeah with this is something say. yeah with more mm. to say you know mm. maybe the next one is going to be my lemonade yes oh yes <laughs> that'll be amazing <laughs> i hope well, it would be yeah <laughs> yeah
0: oh thank you so so much for speaking with me today no, thank you and thank thrill. you for
2: not returning to the to the uh to the queer anthem question <laughs> oh because <you> <laughs> i'm still struggling okay yeah.
0: yeah what would you dance to on the dance floor
2: uh, Depends so how much up, I've had to drink. So what would get you up and moving? Well, I always used to go to sort things like pop stars. So it would have been like something like suede or something. Probably okay. would would definitely that like, in a, like as in if we're talking about things they're likely to play. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I'm really, really loving a song by Saint Vincent called "Slow Disco." Well, okay. there's a version called "Fast Slow Disco." Okay. And the video is just lots of really attractive men wearing, <laughs> wearing leather on a dance floor. <laughs> and so at the moment that's my queer that's infant. your vibe yeah that's there my go. vibe right You've done it now. you got yeah. it there you yeah. go own it yeah
0: exactly <laughs> thank you so so much this has been absolutely lovely and I'm definitely holding you to the, uh, the round table discussions okay. uh, hopefully yeah. your there. book will be in the works or we'll, we'll finished by then and well hopefully yeah, yeah we yeah. can yeah. talk a bit more about it so cool. it's lovely I'd like that Thanks thank you so much for inviting me thank cheers you. cheers Wow, what an incredible conversation. I love talking to Steve so much and I thought it was really, really inspiring. He's taken a risk, he's followed his passions and he's created this incredible career. And I'm, yeah, just absolutely thrilled that I got to have the conversation about that with him today. You can follow Steve on Instagram. He is sj underscore Watson and you can also check out his website for further information about his work. And if you haven't watched the film before I go to sleep, I would really encourage you to do so. It's incredible. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Until next time don't forget to like share and subscribe to this podcast you can follow me on instagram facebook and twitter my handle is at fluey Actually. you can also check out my website fluieactually.com.